So we're moving through it. This morning we'll be picking up, starting with verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. It's not, Ephesians isn't an easy book. It's a profound book. It has, boy, so much value to it. And here in these first three chapters, as we discussed last week, Paul's explaining to the Ephesians how rich they are, how much they have, how spiritually blessed they've been. But in the process, it gets into some pretty deep theological concepts and some things that aren't always that easy to understand. See, you have to understand, Paul had been in Ephesus for three years, teaching probably every day the Christians. And so then when he writes a letter to them, you expect it to be on a a pretty high level, and in fact it is. So last week we talked about this doctrine of predestination, the fact that God has chosen each of us as his children even before the foundation of the world. We talked about how people fight about that and argue about exactly what it means and what it doesn't mean, but Paul wasn't trying to do that. He could have settled some arguments if he had said it a little differently, but what he was trying to do is just to say, look how blessed you are. You ought to be thankful for the fact that God chose you. He, he knew you before you even existed and wanted to have a relationship with you. Well, it gets in even deeper as we continue in this study. And today, we're going to talk about and read about and study the concept of redemption. We use that word sometimes, redemption, but to understand exactly what it means as a believer isn't that easy. So I want to do the disclaimer beforehand that if this is a difficult concept for you, it is a difficult concept for all of us, not easy to teach on and not easy, therefore, to necessarily comprehend. But I don't want you to get to where you can't see the forest for the trees, because the point of this section is a really good one, an important one. That, and, and it is basically that God loves you so much that he did what was necessary to fix what's wrong with you. And it cost him the life of his son, and yet he did that for you. And as a result, there isn't any reason why you need to be wrong anymore. There isn't any reason why you need to be far away from God anymore. There's no reason why you can't go to heaven and, and be there for all of eternity. And that's incredibly good news. It's what the Bible calls the gospel. Redemption is a word that means literally, the word redeem means to buy back or to take back. And the word usually refers to either paying a ransom in order to to purchase someone's freedom for them, or going to pay for something that even though it's yours, it's been lost and taken away, and so you are restoring it to a place. When it comes to redeeming people and to redeeming the planet, the basic idea is, how do we fix what's wrong with the world? you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and I think most people will acknowledge that what's wrong with the world is sin. We don't like to talk about it, but obviously 
the world would be a completely different place if everyone did what God says to do. Now, most of us think that the world is wrong because of other people's sins. We don't make the connection how our own contributes to it. But we look at the world and everyone, any thinking person, looks at the mess that we are in and we think, how do you fix this? Every politician runs on the basic platform that I am going to fix what's wrong with this world. And so great promises are made of changes that are going to take place, but the truth is no one, no politician has the answers to fix what's wrong, what's been wrong since the Garden of Eden, that people keep doing the wrong things, that people keep sinning. And so we have term limits to where we'll give this president four years or eight years to work out his plan of redemption, and then we'll go, eh, that didn't work. Let's rotate chairs, and let's give somebody else a shot at it. But the truth is, as hard as people try, as well-intentioned as we may be, we're having a hard time finding a way of fixing what's wrong with the world because people keep doing the wrong stuff. Now, the problem with it is really, personally, I could still do the wrong stuff that I do, but if everyone else would do the right things, we'd still be okay. But everyone feels that way. And so here we all are trapped with this thing that we inherited from our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, that we, like them, when we do what we feel like doing, it's the wrong thing. When we treat people the way it just seems to naturally go, it hurts people and hurts us too. And that's what the Bible calls sin. But the Bible presents God's plan for redemption. God's plan that, that was hatched, according to the scriptures, he knew that we were going to mess things up. And he had a plan to fix it that goes way back before anything ever happened. And he has been working on his plan of redemption to bring about that which is going to ultimately fix what's wrong in the world. And the center of that plan is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Now, it's easy for us to say, and you know, little kids learn right away, you know, Jesus died for our sins so we can go to heaven. And and we can say that, and we can believe that, but understanding exactly how it works is difficult because of our limitations. Now, there are a lot of people who will reject Christianity because they can't really believe that somehow a guy 2,000 years ago who died means that now I can live. And that just doesn't compute for some people, and they go, I'm not going to buy that. Sounds like a myth to me. Sounds like a crazy story that just doesn't make sense. But before you pass judgment too quickly on God's plan for redemption, just remember how hard it is to come up with a plan for redemption. No one else yet has come up with a, with a plan that works. So for me, what it comes down to is sometimes... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe what God says in his word 
because I don't have a better idea. When, when Jesus was teaching some difficult things about his death that was coming, a lot of people left, and Jesus looked at the disciples who were left and said, aren't you guys going to bail too? And Peter said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Most of us are here today because we believe that. At least we believe that the other solutions that have been proposed have proven to be insufficient. And therefore, we are banking our hope and our future on the fact that maybe it's true that what Jesus Christ did on the cross actually does have the power to change what's wrong with me and with everyone else. We'll look at verses 7 through verse 14, and he starts out with redemption in him, that is in Jesus we have redemption. And then in verse 14, he winds up the discussion by saying, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So bookmarked on this section is the idea of redemption, of buying back, of turning things around. So verse 7 And the one thing that we'll see is God's plan of redemption. It's something that goes back into the past. It's something that's involved now in the present. And it's something that is also yet future. And so his plan started before us and it really came to its its ultimate apex. It's the crux of the plan of redemption was on the cross. But now God is also redeeming us, and he has a plan to ultimately repair and and fix and redeem everything. And so that's what we see here in this passage. So verse 7, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, first I was just going to teach just on that verse, and then I thought, really, I should probably just teach on redemption and then just his blood and forgiveness. But I ended up putting all these verses together because to get the whole picture, it's important to do it. So I know this maybe isn't going to be easy to work through all this, but hang in there with me and at least at the end, I'll give you the short version so you can walk away going, okay, at least that makes sense. (laughs) Redemption through his blood. Now, if you've been around Christianity for very long, you've heard a lot about the blood of Jesus. We used to write songs about it all the time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus was a great hymn of the church. And, you know, we used to be comfortable with that concept, but somewhere along the road, people have become embarrassed by the idea that this is a bloody religion, that Blood has something to do with what's happened to us. And so it's become politically incorrect to talk about the blood of Jesus. But make no mistake about it, if it's not for the blood of Jesus, according to the scriptures, we have nothing. The only way that our sins could be solved, the only way we could be forgiven, the only way we can know Jesus Christ is because of Jesus Christ shedding his blood for us in what we call the atonement, the substitutionary atonement. He died in our place. He died for us, and his blood needed to be shed for that to happen. 
I don't expect you to necessarily understand that, but I want you to understand that this is where our faith lies. That to reject the atoning work of Jesus Christ as he shed his blood for us on the cross is to take God's plan of redemption and go, nah, I'm going to make my own. And so basically nowadays, even in the name of Christianity, people are trying to have a redemption that doesn't include this embarrassing concept. And so the plans of redemption today are looking a whole lot like the world's plans for redemption. We need to find some keys to life. We need to make sure that we start to do good things. We need to, if we love each other, then naturally it's going to, things are going to get better. And, and so the message over and over again is now becoming, how can you have a better life? And how can you find out what's important to you? But the gospel, the only good news we have, the only plan for redemption that has a shot at working is if what this says right here is absolutely true. Now, you go, how could blood fix sin. We, we acknowledge sin is a problem, but how could blood have anything to do with it? That's not an easy thing to answer, and we shouldn't just treat that as if it's a flippant question. But think with me for a minute about the Old Testament, because something that to many of us might seem barbaric was the essence of the religion that this book teaches about and that is they had a sacrificial system whereby because of people's sin, they needed to come an innocent, if you believe there's such thing as an innocent animal, but were, were sacrificed, their lives were given, their blood was shed, and this ritual took place of sacrifice, and somehow that had to do with sin. And yet, even in the law, even in the Old Testament, it tells us that that wasn't enough. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. And yet, we find out, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, again, understand, if, if it's not blood that makes it possible for sins to be forgiven, then the Bible doesn't have another answer, and neither does the world. Now, if you think about it a little bit, Sacrificing an animal, the one thing that would do is it would cause you to go, yuck. This is horrible. And they would take a, 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 a lamb without spot or blemish, and they would take it into their home, and they would keep it safe and protect it, and the kids would play with it. And then they would, they would take it down to the temple and, and pray that their sins would be placed on this animal, and this animal would be slaughtered. And for all of us, deep inside, we just go, oh, man, that's so barbaric, that's so awful. What's the point of that? Well, that's exactly the point of it. Because, see, our problem is we don't think our sin is that bad. We don't think it really stinks all that awful. We kind of think that, yeah, other people's sins are really bad, but ours, they're understandable. In fact, most people have still not got a hold of the concept that you are messing your own life up. Most people, when you 
talk to them about what's wrong in their life, they tell you about all the wrong things that other people have done to them and how much they've been victimized. And that is absolutely true. However, I can't do anything about other people's sins against me except to go sin myself to take care of it. But it's so important because I don't understand what's wrong with me, and I therefore won't understand what's wrong with this world, until I figure out that sin is a lot worse than I thought. The reason why we do things our own way, the reason why we do wrong and selfish things, is because we really don't think it's that bad. When Jesus hung on the cross, remember he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They, they knew what they were doing, but they really didn't understand. The sacrificial system was there as a picture of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. But a part of the significance of it was to get the people to face their own failure and their own sin and to realize the ramifications, the rippling effect of you doing what you want to do goes way beyond yourself. It does more damage than you could ever imagine. From the Garden of Gethsemane, eating a fruit that he said not to eat, what's the big deal? I mean, why couldn't God just go, eh, you know, it's okay, it's just a piece of fruit? Well, there was something in that fruit that was going to affect all of us. Perhaps there was a genetic element to it. I don't know. But something happened there that ever since then, our instincts are telling us to do what's destroying us. We're killing ourselves, literally. And somehow we got to understand where that comes from. And we certainly have to understand how bad it is. And at least in that image of death is a picture of something horrific and an association of going, you know what? I didn't realize that what I did is all that bad. And that's why I keep doing it. But when I see in that sacrifice, I'm beginning to understand, hopefully, this is worse than I thought. What I've done is worse than I thought. Have you ever seen someone make a decision that you know was really destructive, and you felt like saying to them, you have no idea what you've just done. You have no idea the can of worms that you have just opened. Well, the truth is, every day, a whole bunch of times, that's what we're doing. We're doing things that lead to other things. We're opening up a can, a mess, that's just, that's what's destroying this planet. Now, the scriptures tell us that ultimately to have the only innocent man ever to die for our sins could substitute for the death that we deserve. Because if we deserve death and we die, where does it end? Where is the reparative effect? Can it ever get better? But the scriptures teach us that one man dying for everyone, if his life was infinitely valuable because he's God, and he was completely innocent because he didn't sin, and he's related to us, the scripture says his death could atone for our sin. It's taught throughout the scriptures, 
from right in the beginning all the way through. You know, you see in Isaiah 53, that passage, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, for by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. Now, do I understand that? Honestly, no, not completely. But here's the thing. I don't have a better plan. And Jesus, as he was in the garden, was saying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the Father allowed him to go and give his life. And what that tells me is there was no other way. I don't understand it completely, and, and I, people try to explain it by talking about there's, you know, God and Satan had to make this deal, and, all, you know, and, and I don't believe that. The scriptures don't say that, but what the Bible is very clear on is this had to happen. This was the only way redemption could happen, and if you don't want to believe it, make up your own religion, but your religion isn't going to work. Real redemption comes because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The repair that we need, that the planet needs, that we all need, it can happen there. Now, again, I don't want to just blow past this and act like, yeah, sure, you know, I get it. I don't get it, but here's something that I know. Universally, cross-culturally, there are redemptive stories and analogies everywhere because built into us is somehow an obscure sort of hint that somehow what's wrong with all the death is that maybe someone could die that would fix this, that would put an end to it. And so in all sorts of even pagan cultures, they know what sacrifice is. Maybe they're sacrificing animals to try to fix things. Some of them would even sacrifice children. Others would try to throw a virgin into a volcano or whatever. But it's this, where does this whole notion come from that everyone has some way of believing or knowing or understanding that in some mysterious way, somebody could die for somebody else to be fixed? And in fact, even in our own culture, most of the best movies that have ever been made are movies about redemption. I mean, how many times have you seen the story where somebody who you begin to love and you're attached to them, they give their life so that somebody else can have life? It's such a universal tale that's built into us that I think that when we, when we hear it, it doesn't, it, it sounds almost vaguely familiar, even though if we look at it and analyze it, we may go, I don't know, I don't understand this. But I believe that this truth has been placed within people and it connects in some way. However, the whole thing is the past of redemption is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it all happened. That's the gospel. It happened. The scriptures tell us that what happened on that cross can mean everything to you and to me and to this planet too. But what about the present? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. 
Oh, and by the way, it's according to the riches of his grace. The point that Paul's bringing this up is to go, look how much God loves you. Look at the length that he would go to in order to shower his love on you, that, that his son would, would die for you. Rich. But he made, no, he made it known to us. He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence or understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Not only did the cross happen, and redemption, the price of it had been paid, when Jesus said, it is finished, tetelestai in the Greek, is a word that they use sometimes to mean paid in full. It was the idea, it's done, it's been taken care of. That's a past event. But God is able to apply that to us and we can begin to comprehend it. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not like, oh, a story that has some spooky ending or, you know, this boom, surprise. But a mystery is something that isn't revealed, but it's being revealed. It's starting to soak in. It's starting to make sense. It didn't before, and, and it, it, it is now. And so what Paul is saying is, you have this event where Jesus' blood paid for people's sins and made it possible for them to be forgiven. Now that happened, whether you believe it or not. But Paul's saying for us, you know, it started to dawn on us, that was for me. That sacrifice was for me. That gift was his love for me. And as much as a part of your brain is telling you, no, this is, you don't understand this. How could you buy into this? Yet, as God begins to reveal himself to us, it begins to sink in. And we begin to understand, as he says, it abounds toward us in wisdom and knowledge, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So God takes this event, this redeeming event, and he tells us, it was for you. It's something that connects to you. This is not just the hope of the planet. This is your personal hope. This is what he has done for you. He loves you that much. And, and as we begin to understand it, we start to realize not only how much he loves us, but how much we are worth to him, how much we matter to him, how much he has love for us that he would do something like this for us. And that is you know, an introductory event that causes us to begin to be delivered from that which was destroying us. Because if you don't think you're worth anything, you don't mind the fact that you're destroying yourself. You may even want to destroy yourself consciously. And you know everyone else is a mess. You don't mind destroying them. But when this plan of redemption begins to sink in, you start to have hope. And you start to think, wow, maybe it's real. Maybe he does love me. How overwhelmingly is the, is the truth of this? To understand it, it's just, yeah, at first it boggles your mind, and then you start going, and I'm starting to believe it. It's starting to make sense to me. 
Everything in our mind is fighting against it. It's why children have no problem with it. Because they haven't gotten so experienced at questioning everything. Children are pretty comfortable with things that still seem to be mysterious. And so when you tell a child that Jesus died for them, oh, Jesus died for me. So I can have everlasting life? Yep. Cool. They just enjoy it. But we become so jaded because, frankly, we are more experienced at sin. We have entrenched in our lives these habits and patterns of bad behavior so much so that we're fighting against the very thing that can save us. But for so many of us, we have come to the point where we go, you know what really freaks me out about this? I'm starting to get it. It's starting to make sense. I'm starting to feel hope again. I'm starting to, I'm seeing this redeeming act and I see that Jesus on the cross and I'm feeling like this could have something to do with me. And then every time I hear a story of redemption, it does something inside me. It touches me. Somebody can make up a phony movie where somebody dies for somebody else and it's getting me. Because I, I know that that happened for me. My Lord did that for me. And so in the past, the, redemption, the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. In the present, God's revelation of this to us unfolding as a, as a mystery that's being revealed, as truth that was once concealed that is now being shared with us. And we're going, I think this has to do with me. And then... It's all about what God is going to do in the future. His plan goes off into the future. Beginning with verse 10, he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, or literally after all the seasons, you go through all the cycles, he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That's the summary of his plan that extends into the future. He goes, What's happening is everything was created to be in him, to be so close to him, to be connected to him, to be in fellowship with him. And what his plan is doing as it unfolds is moving toward that day when everything that's wrong will be made right. When when everything that's damaged in this world because of sin will be repaired. Now you go, oh, cool, so it sounds like Everybody's going to be saved. He's going to fix everyone. Well, he's only going to fix the people that allow him to. He won't violate your will. He's not going to force himself on you. And so Jesus clearly teaches, and Paul does too, that apart from the gospel, we're condemned. And if you don't know that, you don't know much. We're all heading downhill. We're in trouble unless something intervenes. And God chose, and he paid the price, 
and he gave his, the gift of his son to, to die for us so that ultimately everyone who is willing can be gathered together like one big happy family and then in him everything will be right. And that's where it's heading. He is taking the pieces of the puzzle and redemptively right now putting it together and you're a part of that if you want to be. And as he begins to fix each of our lives and he puts us all together, ultimately there's this beautiful picture that's painted of eternity, of, of unity in him, that finally everything that was damaged will now be right and fixed. Now, in the last couple verses there, verses 13 and 14, he builds a bridge for us from the present to the future. And this shows us the involvement of the Holy Spirit. He says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, so that's what we've been talking about, the gospel of your salvation, you personalized it, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When you get to the point where you trust him enough to believe, when you come to him and you go, I want to be redeemed. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to be connected by what you did on the cross. When that happens, the Bible says, well, the Holy Spirit was the one who was drawing you in the first place, and then God takes his Holy Spirit and puts him inside you. And when he does that, he seals you. You're locked in. And when that happens, he is that guarantee of future blessings. And so you begin to waver, you begin to doubt. You start to go, could this be real? And now there's an inside job. The Holy Spirit is going, no, it's real. You're my child. I love you. And you, you get a peace. And when people ask the tough questions and you begin to doubt there's someone inside you who's going, trust me, this is okay. You're on track. When you begin to look and go, I don't think things are ever going to get better. I don't think redemption's ever going to happen. I feel like giving up. The Holy Spirit is going, no, I'm in here. You're right on track. Things are happening just as they are supposed to be. I'm working in your life. And ultimately, what's the result of that? It's to the praise of his glory. When the whole story's been told, we're all going to look at it and go, that was perfect. We're not going to go, when we get to heaven, um, God, why, why couldn't you have done some weird thing with a matrix and, and then somehow maybe redeem people in that way? Why? God, I have some other... No. <laughs> we're going to get there and we're going to go... This was exactly the way it was supposed to happen. And now I understand why it was the only way. And now I understand completely what the cross was about and his gift and his redemption. And all I want to do is just praise him because it worked. He fixed everything. It's, it's, it's now been made right. 
And even now, the Holy Spirit, as he works in my life, is letting me sense that we're getting somewhere. Something's happening. Mysteries are starting to unfold. I'm beginning to get it. Do I understand it completely? No. No. But I'll tell you something. There's something inside me that's saying, you're so blessed. I've got you covered. I'm working in your life. And eventually, you and everyone, you're all going to look exactly the way you were intended to look. And life in this world, it's going to be just the way it was designed to be right from the beginning. On that day of redemption. Redemption was paid for in the past on the cross. Redemption is being revealed to us now as God works in our lives. Redemption will result ultimately in a world that's been completely ransomed, bought back, repaired, renewed. And it's the Holy Spirit who's doing that work now and who will continue to do that work until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I understand it all. But I'm not going to let the fact that I don't understand it all Rob me of the joy of going, I think there's something really good here. And, you know, the Bible wants us to, the gospel, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And I'm not embarrassed about believing this stuff. And I don't mind telling people about it. And I love studying it and I love reading about it and I love reflecting on it because the more I focus on the cross, the more it makes sense in my life. It really does. And that is the message. The message isn't how you can fix your own life. You can't. The message isn't tips for how things can go better for you. That doesn't matter. If you're, if you're condemned and you make your life a little better, you save some money or get on a budget, that's not going to fix anything. But the good news, Jesus died for you, and his blood paid for your sin, and that's what's wrong. And God is in the process of redeeming and making it all right. And that's the only message that matters. That's all I need to know ultimately. And I personally feel really blessed that God chose me and began to drop enough hints that I started seeing this and going, something's happening here. This is making sense. And and that's what Paul is trying to say to the Ephesians. Do you understand how fortunate you are that this powerful truth makes a little bit of sense, enough that you'd trust it? Again, there are people here today that aren't going to believe it, that are going to go, that just sounds like a myth to me. Well, good luck finding a better plan. This is the one that's held up. This is the one that people have staked their lives on and would test No, it really is real. It really does work. It's the only hope I know of. It's the only path I see for this place to be redeemed and for me to be redeemed. If you don't know him, but it's starting to click. 
I mean, maybe you're starting to think of some of the redemptive stories you've heard about and go, yeah, that did really touch me, and I don't really know why. I don't get why it would be good for a good person to die. Why does that make sense? And yet it was. Maybe God's drawing you. Maybe today is the day when you need to just decide. I'll trust him. I'll give him permission to do a work in my life. There'll be people up here in the front who would love to pray with you if you want to make that decision. But I understand, if you're not a Christian, some of this stuff, it's not making sense. This was written to Christians, and I've been primarily talking to Christians. But maybe it's for you, too. If so, oh man, today would be a great day to start on that road of belief, to let the mystery begin to unfold. Let him do that to you, and he will. He loves you. For all the rest of us, the message, the short version, the cliff notes is this. God has done everything for you that you need. What Jesus did on the cross means that you shouldn't have a care in the world because you're paid for, you're covered, your sins have been forgiven, you're going to heaven, you are in him. That's good news. That's gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of the gospel. God, I thank you for the fact that all of it doesn't make sense all the time because if it made sense to us, it certainly wouldn't be enough to fix what's wrong with this world. But we just bow in humble gratitude and adoration. And we praise you and we glorify you for your amazing plan, the only plan that could have fixed what was wrong with this world and with us. So we just thank you. We appreciate you including us in it. And we're amazed by the fact that you included us way before we even knew who you were, before we knew anything. So we thank you, Lord. Lord, cause those who are here today who don't know you to just look within the recesses of their heart and, and ask themselves, doesn't this make some sort of sense on some level? What, what other choices do you have? And Lord, if, if they're ready, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself today. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.